0: It's not like last March, I knew this was going to be a year. In fact, if you had told me I'd be launching it still in the pandemic, I would have I would have been like, screw it. I'm not doing this. I mean, seriously, there, there, there's not a whole lot of joy launching a book about connection in your living room by yourself. <laughs> I mean, I'm just going to be completely candid because I don't know how to be any anyone else. But it was always part of the conversation. It's like, how are you staying, you know, what are you doing to stay in touch, et cetera. So, I mean, it, I can't divorce it. I mean, it was the elephant in the room.
1: Every business, whether or not they realize it, is an idea business. The people at Gray have a long history of creating famously effective ideas. And so, with Gray Matter, we explore the ideas shaping our world. We ask creative minds from all corners of life how they came up with their best ideas. And that's what matters for Gray Matter. On this episode of Gray Matter, we'll discuss what unites us as people, our fundamental need for communicating with one another, and how what makes us unique can be our greatest asset. Hi, I'm John Patrol's Worldwide Chief Creative Officer at Gray. This week's idea is for the book, The Lost Art of Connecting, and we'll speak with the author, Susan McPherson. Today, we'll hear from Susan about how deepening connections with others was something she learned at a young age, and how that translated into her life and career. Susan chatted with Gray's Global Planning Director, Holly Williams, to discuss meaningful ways to meet others, the role technology plays in relationships, and the methods Susan wrote in her book. The Lost Art of Connecting was published in March of this year and has received praise from folks like Seth Godin, Beth Comstock, and Shannon Watts, the founder of Mother's Demand Action. Susan is an angel investor and corporate responsibility expert, but at her core, she's truly a connector. In 2013, she brought to life her passion for people as the founder and CEO of McPherson Strategies, a communications consultancy focused on the intersection of brands and social impact. Susan serves on multiple boards of directors, invests in women-owned companies, and has been written up in Forbes, Fast Company, and Newsweek. She's so full of energy and positivity. This is Susan McPherson. Uh,
0: You know, I'll be honest with you, it felt very uh, bittersweet to be launching a book about the importance of meaningful connections when I personally have been completely isolated. I, I live alone. I don't have parents or partner or children um, over 12 months, so it's a little surreal. And I think the misnomer is this book was planned long before a pandemic, and the book was not designed to be a uh, tips and tools manual for how do we start to reconnect after a year of isolation. I have been a connector all my life. I grew up uh, with parents who basically thrived off their connections. And and I tell the story in the book that at the breakfast table in upstate New York in a little town that I grew up in, literally I would have to vie for real estate for my bowl of cereal because they would have laid down on the table the five local newspapers and yesterday's New York Times where they'd be badly clipping and cutting and putting the articles that they clipped into envelopes and then typing on the manual typewriters. They both each had their own. Quick little missive saying, thinking of you, cousin Harry, thought of you, colleague Joan, and off into the postal mail they would go. And I assumed everybody did that. Everybody. And of course, you know, once I got into the real world come, you know, the mid-late 80s, uh, you know, that was clearly not the case. Um, but, you know, throughout the, the 90s, you know, as technology came into being, whether, you know, the original fax machines to the Internet, it became really efficient to be able to do what they were doing. Um, but 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 even in a in a, in a larger scale um, and it became my calling card. I, I would send articles. I would connect people based on articles. I would send to, one article to four people and say, you all came to mind. And by the way, you four need to meet because you have this in common. Um, but it wasn't until, uh, you know, probably it was four or five years ago, where after years of people saying, Susan, you need to write a book and tell people how you do this, that, you know, I finally kind of like, okay. Um, but a few a few things put, put me over the edge. Uh, one was this real realization that we had all become slaves to our clicks and likes and followers as a means to measure whether we were being successful in terms of connecting Um, and even myself. And that felt abhorrently wrong. And secondly, a friend of mine told me that each day she would take her children 10 and 12 to the bus stop and drop them off and hug them goodbye and proceed to watch them get on the bus. And they would get into their respective seats. And as soon as they sat down, their heads dropped down to look at their mobile devices. And not only her two children, but every child on the school bus did the same thing. And it dawned on me, my school bus experience was very different. Believe me, not all good. (laughs) There were plenty of horror stories on my school bus. However, that story was like, wait a minute. This is wrong. We we, you know, in my little world, what can I do to help augment that? And so I did a proposal, and we all know it takes forever once you get to that, you know, next phase. But I started writing in February, and of course, March happened, the world shut down, and all we had were the clicks and likes and followers. (laughs) And so what I had to really dig into deeply is how do we use our technology? Because that's all we have to develop meaningful relationships, get back in touch with loved ones that we have been out of touch with, and how do we create the communities we want to have around us as we build back to the world tomorrow? I was very smart to not only be the voice in the book, and I interview uh, close to 30 people who are all known communicators, connectors, um, people who have made building community uh, tremendous facets of their career success there's a lot of other knowledge from others.
2: What's so interesting about the book to me is that it doesn't feel like a traditional sort of business relationship building book. It feels part memoir, part how-to manual that's seamlessly integrated, which felt like quite a unique way of telling a story. Was that a very intentional kind of approach for, for what you wanted to communicate?
0: Well, first of all, Holly, thank you. That 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 what a gift it is to hear that because I am the least persp- prescriptive person. You like I, I mean I shouldn't say least. I don't you know know, you know thousands of people, but I am not a prescriptive person. It's really hard to put me in a box. <laughs> um, and so when you know, the, uh, and and McGraw Hill is very much a business book publisher. I I almost joke that they are like when you think of the calculus books that you had in college, McGraw Hill was. The publisher. Um, And it was, there was no way I was going to be able to publish a book that was not part, you know, this, this, just this human that I am. And I think the beautiful thing about the type of building of meaningful connections that I share in the book is it has a lot of humanity. And when we divorce the humanity from it and make it very transactional and numbers based and broad versus deep, we lose the whole essence of it.
2: Right, right, right. That's, that's, that's really interesting. Was that a, um, was that a conscious conversation with your publisher going into that, that you would need to balance those two forces or did it sort of just happen
0: naturally? It kind of was push, you know, push and pull, push and pull. You know, I would submit a chapter and they'd be like, well, you need to be a little bit more prescriptive. (laughs) Um, But I think also, you know, the end result is we can't be what we, what we're not. Right. And I couldn't, It would be disingenuous of me to put out a book in the world that was very like, uh uh-uh, you know, like very mechanical, I guess you could say. But my hope is there's enough tips and tricks and tools that people can walk away with, but grounded in a sense of human experience that make them that much more appealing to, to try. So- So interesting to hear you say that you don't think of yourself as
2: a particularly prescriptive person, because one of the parts of the, or one of the founding sort of structural ideas in the book is gather, ask, do. Um, I'm curious to hear how you kind of solidified that as a, a way of thinking about building relationships and whether it was throughout the
0: process of writing the book or something that you've always thought. Can you tell us a little about that? It, it actually was during the process of writing the book, but it was actually finally doing the deep thinking that I needed to do to figure out how I have been successful, connecting people, introducing people, solidifying others, really other relationships. And it really, it, 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 it was what I had been doing all these years. Um, and essentially it is, it is the following in the gather phase is actually when you look inside yourself and, Number one, figure out in your mind, what is a meaningful connection or relationship? Because quite frankly, Holly, what is a meaningful relationship to you might be very different than it is to me. Also during the gather phase is when you determine what is the community you want to surround yourself with to help you reach your goals over the next four years, four months, four weeks, even maybe four days. I mean, I I realize that may be a little bit ridiculous. But also, what is the secret sauce or chief differentiating factor that you and only you can bring to the table to, that, to offer to that community? So that is what happens during the gather phase. And I do think that where we are right now in this kind of purgatory time where we know we're going to be coming out of isolation at some point, we don't know when, but we know it soon. And this is a great exercise to do right now. What is the community that you want to surround yourself with? And how are you going to make sure going forward that that community doesn't look just like you, sound like you, the same age as you? Because if you are going to accomplish your goals, you are going to need diversity and inclusion within your your community. The second is the ask. And that's the second section of the book. And interestingly enough, I've spent my life always being curious about others. I just it it is it is something I just carry with me. I love learning about people. I love finding out what makes people tick, et cetera. But the ask is literally the section where you learn the art of asking others the right questions to better understand who they are, what their hopes and dreams are, what are their goals so that if you listen with intention and with care, you can get to the do and the do is my favorite section because I'm a doer, but that's when you can actually follow up and become reliable, dependable and most importantly, trustworthy. And it's not something that you're just going to do once in your life. I'm not going to just like gather us do and be done with it. But this is something that you can be practicing throughout your life. And think of it as the long haul rather than something that you're just going to, you know, dust off and put on the bookshelf. So how did you go from
2: sort of just naturally living and breathing that as something that's intrinsic and, and even subconscious that you don't even know that you're doing to formalizing it as sort of the organizational principle?
0: I have I have had a lot of loss in my life. I've had a lot of tragedy in my life. I've moved a lot. And to get me through each of those, you know, transitional points of view, I have had to go to my community, whether it was my existing community or a new community. So I was constantly doing that gather phase. Like, what is it that I'm trying to do? What, you know, whether I'm, I'm trying to, you know, get a promotion or get a new job or make new friends in a new town that I don't know anybody. So in order to do that, that gather phase was extraordinarily important.
2: So you've naturally practiced that
0: yeah. I mean, I, 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 sublim- I mean, it wasn't something I would be thinking about, but when I look back over the last 30 years, certainly professionally, I was doing it all the time. I mean, you know, when it, being an entrepreneur, you have to be doing that. You have to be doing that to think about how you're going to cultivate business. The ask actually, you know, grew out of a number of things. One of the themes through the entire book is always leading with how can I be helpful rather than what I can get which when you think about is already not transactional, okay? It's very hard to transactionally be helpful, right? Because it usually takes more than just one (laughs) communication to be helpful in life. But also, and and this is kind of a a side story, but I'm very tiny. Um, My license says I'm five foot. And when I first started walking into the proverbial convention hall, conference room, boardroom, no one saw me. People just did not see me. And if I started with asking questions about them, they took the time to look down to talk to me. So it might have grew from my own insecurities or also from my own lack of being seen. And it became very much a part of how I started to build relationships is it wasn't about me. Okay. Yeah. It could be about me later, but first it was really getting a sense of who is this person? Where is he, she, or they coming from and what's going on in their lives and what's challenging them right now. Over the years, there have been people that either one felt, I don't have any, I don't need any help. Okay, good. (laughs) Bye-bye. I mean, I'm glad I'm happy. That's wonderful. Other people, you know, I go back to the girls in high school that thought I was quote unquote too nice because they couldn't understand why I was so helpful and people, people questioning your motives. And again, you know, the good news is with age, I've learned to have the confidence to walk away from people like that. But the vast majority of people can use a little help.
2: Right. And it's, it's interesting to hear you talk about sort of needing to overcome adversity, turning into one of your biggest sort of strengths in terms of connecting with people. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of ideas are sort of born that way. There's a sort of a challenge of or that we need to come and then just by sort of pure determination, stumble across a really powerful tool. Well, what are some of your favorite,
0: um, lessons or takeaways in terms of relationship sure. building? Well, first of all, everyone has value. Everyone. Okay. I mean, it wasn't really until this pandemic that I actually met my neighbors in my hallway. And this may be a New York city thing, but you know, we, we live our entire lives here on top of each other and we don't know our neighbors. Okay. But this notion of, well, my neighbor can't, you know, what are they, what connection do they have? How can they be useful to my business, to my, you know, company growing or my, my stock and portfolio growing, but everybody has something special to offer. And we don't know what we don't know. One of my favorite stories in the book, I just, I still can't believe actually happened. Um, Back in 2017, I received an email from a friend. I mean, you know, a good friend, not a bestie. And she said to me, Susan, my friend Brandt wants to get into a refugee camp tomorrow in Greece, can you help him? He's a filmmaker. Well, one of the boards I serve on is the US arm of the UN High Commission for Refugees. So it wasn't so far out of left field, But it was an extraordinarily busy day at my company, McPherson Strategies. And all I kept thinking to myself was, the last thing the world needs is another documentary film that would be made about refugees that no one would see. And I just thought to myself, you know what? You have five minutes. Make a phone call. I was able to make a few calls. And lo and behold, we were able to get Brant into the refugee camp the next day. A few days go by. And I learned something really interesting. He was not a documentary filmmaker. He was actually a big budget Hollywood producer who had done a number of Tom Cruise's films over the years. And he was so enamored with the refugee cause. A few months later, I get a call from a friend who is a volunteer or an advisor, I should say, for the NGO CARE, which is a global health organization. And she said, Susan, do you happen to know any filmmakers who might be able to go spend a little bit of time on the Syrian border? at the Azraq refugee camp to help Syrian youth learn how to tell their stories via film. Well, of course, because of what happened, I had a contact. So I reached out to Brandt, and not only did he say yes, but he brought eight Hollywood film directors with him. They spent 10 days in that camp teaching Syrian youth how to actually create films and tell the stories of their harrowing journeys of escape from Syria. More to come. Epic Foundation, a major foundation, actually funded because of this, a film academy at this refugee camp. And there's more. Brandt actually went on to create and to produce a narrative short film about the refugee struggle that Angelina Jolie saw and now has been taking around the world to show major leaders of state. So millions and millions of dollars are being raised to help the 88 million displaced people and refugees around this world. Thanks to that email that day. Wow. That's an incredible
2: lesson. And actually one of the takeaways that I had from, from your book, which oh. is that you <laughs> never know where a connection is going to come from, all what it's exactly. going to lead to, and that being engaged and connected is probably
0: going to reap something. You just never, you never quite know. You why. don't know what you don't know. And the The fact that I had all those initial um, misnomers, you know, the 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 the, the, we're all wrong, and so we need to question our own kind of questions, right? Um, And second guess whatever kind of preconceived notions that we have going into things. And I just think what that is what is that what certainly that is what makes life scary because we don't know what's on the other side of that door. But the excitement of what could be is also. I think what has been my North star and what has always kept me going and, and, and curious. So I I think that that is, that is really, really, really important. Um, And, you know, this, this notion of leading with how can I be helpful um, is, is also really important because we're often, we, you know, there's always going to be times in our lives when we need help and it's a lot easier to ask for help. If you have been offering up help, So I have a a personal question that I'm sure lots of other people would also have too. I I love the
2: notion of wanting to offer help. I think for a lot of people going into social situations, um, knowing how to offer help and how to be helpful can feel like an intimidating concept. Like, what do I have to offer? What do you say to people in
0: sort of like overcoming that fear or that barrier? to Sure, sure. Well, and that's when I go back to the gather phase, because in the gather phase is when you actually determine what are your chief differentiating factors, what are your secret sauces. And I joke, secret sauce. It could be that you're an amazing creator of spaghetti sauce. Okay. I mean, I, I I'm being facetious, but we all have special powers. We all have secret sauces. Some of us speak multiple languages. Some of us know how to how to create TikToks for God's sakes. I mean, this is this is the time where you have to realize every single person, no matter if you're just out of college, hell, if you're in college or if you're approaching retirement, is get clear on what you do have to offer so that that notion when you are talking to somebody, you can actually say, how can I be helpful? And quite frankly, if you don't know, if you don't have the tools, you may know someone who does. And that's the beautiful thing of as you grow your relationships over your lifetime, you're, I hate to, I, 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 I say this and I think of Mitt Romney and the the, the binders of people and I, I, I don't want that analogy, but you basically have filing cap, cabinets of people that you can turn to. I mean, I have found because of the extraordinarily extraordinary number of people I know and the depth from which I know them, I have people to turn to when somebody needs a filmmaker who can go to a Syrian refugee camp, a, you know, a diver who specializes in coral reconstruction and, res- you know, and, 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 and coral reef restoration. Right. And and that only happens from engaging people, listening to people and finding out what is important to them. Right. Could I'm a little passionate about it. <laughs> no, I, I love it. <laughs> well, what, would you, what advice would you
2: have for say someone who's, just starting out their career and learning to build their networks and, and, you know, doesn't have a, a Rolodex full of connections yep. and people that they've met over the years or that have, you know, maybe is a little shy. Like how do, how do yep. you start to make those first
0: steps? Start with your existing small community. Okay. Your cousins, your siblings, your, your college, you know, whatever networks or if you're in a sorority, start with those. And I will tell you, I, um, you know, my, My mother was killed when I was 22. She was the person that was the connected guru. And she worked for public television and was, you know, I had the propensity to want to go into communications and journalism. So she was the person who would have been connecting me. And of course, that all came to an end. My father, who was a professor for 40 years, and 90% of his connections were in academia, desperately wanted to help me, um, to connect me because he knew his wife, my mother was no longer. And he found someone who was on the board of trustees for the college that he taught, reached out to her on my behalf for an introduction. And she at the time was the, it's now would be called the senior VP of HR. But in those days, it was called personnel for Gannett Corporation. Uh, Gannett owned USA Today and the hundreds of other. I was able to have an interview with her. And my first job, thanks to that interview and obviously i had to excel in the interview but she using her magical powers got me a job at usa today so i mean i went to the closest person i knew my father right so what i'm saying is don't don't you know yes when you're young you of course you don't have as rich and large and deep network but start with who you know first right yeah and, such and, good and but do that exercise first and think about what it is that you excel at what is it that you like to do okay and i also highly 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 recommend that you start getting involved in nonprofit organizations as 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 young as possible because you will learn things that you will never learn at any job or in any educational facility right put yourself out there and you never know
2: where a connection is going to come from that's kind of the, Absolutely. Big, big, yes. big, the big lesson yeah Switching gears a little bit, one book of the yeah. one part of the book that felt particularly pertinent coming out of last year was sort of your lessons around how to make Zoom more personal or other ways to cultivate closeness digitally. How did 2020 and COVID impact that part of the book and
0: even overarching what the book was about? Sure. Well, personally, it had a massive impact on me because I. Have been alone for twelve months and solely alone. I think I, I mentioned earlier, no parents, no spouse, no children, just a very cute dog. <laughs> Unfortunately, she's not much of a conversationalist. Um, and it, it, what I found just personally helpful to me and became part of the book be- was I had been walking hundreds and hundreds of miles. And one of the things I learned from all my walks, I mean, I literally since September walked 1,500 miles. Oh my goodness. In circles, (laughs) in Brooklyn. But it has grounded me to my community. It has led me to have conversations with people I never would have. I I mentioned my dog. She is extraordinarily friendly. She has been called Norm on Cheers, which was a a show that was very popular, and Norm knew everybody's name. And she literally is is very much like that in Brooklyn. And because of her propensity to 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 meet people, I would have conversations. So very much part, you know, that grounded me. That also gave me hope, because you know this was an extraordinarily hard. hard period for me, just like it was for everyone. I mean, I I will never suggest that my situation was anywhere near as bad as so many people who lost loved ones, who lost their livelihoods, who lost jobs. Um, But, you know, just from from my perspective, writing this book with that lens was obviously something that had an impact. But I will say interviewing people like Baratunde Thurston and Tiffany Dufu and You know, Adam Grant, Whitney Johnson, and and these people who were still maintaining deep relationships, obviously using technology, was giving me hope that, you know, when this ends, I think we aren't going to go back as quickly and hopefully never. But, um, you know, I'm going to take the eternal optimistic kind of view that after a year of isolation, we are now going to be taking meaningful relationships to a a much greater uh, value. Um, and I think we will obviously continue to use our technology, but I think we'll be much more intentional about it.
2: Well, I think that's a really interesting shift that COVID forced upon you. You said early in our conversation that, you know, the clicks and the likes were something that you were seeing disconnecting people and heads down and, and not being present to then be in a world where that's the only form of connection that we had. I'm sure that must have sort of forced you to reshape how you tell the story of technology
0: in the book. Yeah, yeah. Well, but the thing is, is is what we have done is think about like in Zoom rooms, right? Where we are so effective now at using the chat session to actually reach out to people and be like, how are you doing? Is there anything you need? Okay. Think back to regular meetings that we were in every day, all day. You can't have those side chats. I mean, you could, but you might get in trouble, right? (laughs) And... You know, yes, we miss those water cooler uh, moments, but I have seen and witnessed people making their own water cooler moments. And I also have witnessed and I am I have someone who has done this this entire year. I mean, I did it before, but I probably was the anomaly where I would every day reach out to three to five people and just say, I'm thinking of you. Are you okay? Do you need anything? But I think I stepped it up this year but probably very self-servingly because I wanted to make sure people didn't forget me. It was also a little bit of dopamine for me to say, Hey, I'm here. Don't forget. Okay. But I also know that most people who receive a note saying, just thinking of you and sending love. Most people find joy in that. I mean, there's always going to be that one person who's like, leave me alone. What can you do? But for most people, there is a bit of joy that comes from receiving something like that.
2: Right, right, right. Yeah, no, of course, of course. Um, so how did the book, thinking about the process of writing it and the themes that you included, how did the book shape and mould over time? Like what lessons did you learn? What What might you do differently if you redid it again for, for people who are trying to think about how to shape their own idea and how to massage it into an embryo to, you know, something tangible?
0: <laughs> well, If it's you know, again, much depends if you're if you're writing something you that is extraordinarily compassionate to you. um, I think then it it becomes a gift, and I do think if you can include others in the process. I mean, you know, once I came up with the list of people that I wanted to interview, it all of a sudden took on this just almost fun endeavor, right? right? Because it was literally having conversations with people that. I respect, adore, um, revere. It was like having coffee with them, right? In some cases, a glass of wine. But it just, it it kept me company in a very lonely period. If people were to take away one one lesson from your book, what would it be? Lead with how can I be of help. You will never go wrong. Don't overthink it. Because we are taught from an early age when we are like, quote unquote, networking, that it's all about what you can get. You'll get a whole lot more if you lead with how can I help. And the world would be a better place if we led with that, right? Wouldn't
1: it? Susan is really fascinating. It's clear that her craft is connecting with others and that she's honed that over the years. But Holly, I'm curious, what's something else you took away from this conversation?
2: I mean, there were lots of different sort of insightful things that Susan talks about. But the the one big thing for me was her mantra, which is, what can I do? It's something that she brings to every
1: connection.
2: um, And it's sort of just how she sees the world. And it really struck me as, a, as an easy and simple way to create deeper and more meaningful connections with everybody in your life.
1: It's, you know, it's, it's interesting. It's a common theme, I think, and the people that we end up talking to on this is they are always people with that kind of positive approach and think about what they themselves can do to contribute to whatever the situation is that they're in.
2: Totally, totally. And it's what makes, it's what people value, you know, like whether it's reading something that they've written or offering to kind of offer their expertise or even just a few minutes of their time. It means a lot to people.
1: Yeah, it's great. Well, tell our listeners how they can learn more about Susan.
2: The book, The Lost Art of Connecting, is available anywhere you can get a book. And everything else you might want to know is on her site, mcpstrategies.com. And her Instagram is at Susan MCP1, where you can see tons of cute pictures of her dog as well.
1: All right, thanks, Holly. So that does it for us this week. The podcast team and I would like to thank Nina Nacholino. If you'd like to hear how other creators, founders, and inventors thought up their ideas, follow this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to reach out to us with questions and comments on Gray's social channels, or our email address, podcasts at gray.com. And lastly, tell a friend about our show and help us share these great ideas. Thanks for listening to Gray Matter. Gray Matter is hosted by John Petroulis, Produced by Danielle Hunt and senior producer Joey Scarillo. Mixed by Guy Rosemarin at Gramercy Park Studios with post-production support from Ned Martin and Robin Frank. Additional support by John Jenkinson, Christina Hyde, Gigi Vera, Gabby Piatek, and Ryan Cunningham. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.